Hello, dental online trainers. This is Dr. Dennis Hartley. Welcome to another episode of DOT Sharecast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Well, hello, dental online trainers. I'm Dr. Dennis Hartlieb, and I, I am still here in my COVID bunker, um, i.e. my basement. And welcome to our new episode of Dental Online Training Sharecast. I am thrilled, truly thrilled, uh, to welcome with us today, again, Dr. Paul Homily. Hey, Dennis. Hey, hey I, I'm excited about being here, too. I'm in my bunker, too. <laughs> well, welcome back. Uh, I told the story. I remember seeing you first, Paul, as a young dentist uh, several years. Well, not a young dentist. I guess I was a mid-career dentist um, okay. uh, several years ago at the Chicago Midwinter Meeting. When I saw you, when you presented, what really blew me away was here's a guy who, or a, a dentist, a guy, a person who's experienced the same thing that, that I'm experiencing. You're a practicing dentist and you were trying to manage and lead your practice. And one of the biggest frustrations and one of the biggest challenges when we talk to other, you know, other consultants in the world is they don't understand how challenging it is to be practicing full time, you know, wet glove dentistry, you're concentrating on your patients. And then you have a team member that will come up to you and say, you know, Dr. Hartlieb, uh, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're running low on, you know, on whatever. And it's like, you, you, you really need me to solve this problem for you right now when I'm trying to manage, you know, this, this you know, challenging implant case or a cosmetic right. case or restorative case or just a challenging patient. And you've been there. You've been in the trenches. And that is the one, one of the things, among many other things, that I really admire about you is that you can draw on that experience. So... Paul, give us, uh, tell us just really briefly, I know um, if anyone has watched previous episodes, they've already know a little bit about you, but for those who maybe are jumping in on this episode, tell us a little bit about your dental experience real briefly, because then I want to get into how now you're in this consulting world. Good. Well, I'm a 1975 University of Illinois graduate, right from dental school, right into the United States Navy, loved it. Spent two years at Cherry Point, North Carolina, the Marine Corps Air Station, Cherry Point, North Carolina. They, um, my commanding officer, Dennis, put me in the Department of Oral Surgery. I'm not an oral surgeon. I was a general dentist right out of the dental school. But I worked with an oral surgeon, Dr. Mel Davis. And for two years, Mel coached me on dental alveolar, third molars. I assisted in the operating room, helped Mel with these oral surgery fractures and all of this. So when I came out of the military, I had a strong dental alveolar surgical background, strong. And, and I'm not talking about head and neck. I'm just talking about taking out teeth and managing post-op and laying flaps and grinding on bone and sectioning teeth. It was like carpentry all the way. Right from when I got out of the military, I opened a small practice in Hildebrand, North Carolina, just east of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Uh, I immediately rolled into LD Pankey Institute, the Dawson Academy, got real strong restorative skills, placed my first dental implant, Dennis, 1978. Placing a dental implant is a lot simpler than taking out a full bony horizontal impaction. I'll tell you that right now. I believe that to be true. And um, by 1979, um, as you know, the law of the land changed where it became legal and ethical for dentists to market directly to the practice. So I did. I marketed implant dentistry, something to smile about. By 1983, my practice was exclusive to implant and reconstructive dentistry. I moved my practice to Charlotte, North Carolina, 
built a nice 4,400 square foot facility. I started a commercial dental laboratory, built a relationship with Dr. Carl Misch. Carl, as many of you know, is um, Carl's passed away now, but Carl was a huge influence in implant dentistry, literally worldwide. Carl and I and his brother Craig and about five or six other faculty members helped co-found the Mish International Implant Institute. I taught with Carl, uh, you know, a couple times a year. I did that for about 10 years. But it quickly became apparent to me, Dennis, that the, the dentists who were taking Carl's program, they were five three-day sessions over a okay. year and a half. And, and I would teach at the first, third, and fifth session. By, by the third, third session, I would ask dentists, hey, how many of you are doing dental implants? And in an audience of 200, one hand or two hand would go up. Sure. And I, and I realized, and I had the conversation with Carl. I said, Carl, the, the, the choke point here is not so much in them knowing how to do it. The choke point is getting them to sell it. How do you build relation? You know, I hate to use that word sell. Everybody freaks out, but... Sure. Treatment acceptance for complex care dentistry gets to be a little bit dicey after that fee gets above $5,000 for a lot of these people. I'm talking yeah. 20 years ago now, Dennis. Right. And so I suggested to Carl, I said, Carl, let me teach a practice management program here and how to make it easy for patients to say yes. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And, huh. and Carl says, you go for it. And so that led to writing five books on the topic or actually three books on the topic um, I ended up doing um, online programs. It turns out that where program chairmen were asking me to talk about dental implants by 1986, 87, 88, more and more dentists were doing dental implants. There were plenty of clinicians talking about full flap surgery and right. osseo integration and all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but nobody was really talking about how do you integrate implant reconstructive dentistry into a general practice. That's great. And so I became the poster child for that. And that really kind of put me on the map worldwide. Um, and that, that's, what, that's what brought me to see you at the midwinter meeting was that's conversations right. with patients. And that, that's right. I, you know, I think so, so many of us and, um, you know, all of us, uh, the followers here on Dental Online Training, uh, we, we can get the clinical information, but then how do we get our patients to actually want to do the treatment? And That's one of the things, one of the great things that I've learned from you um, of so many is that you talk about the difference between educating and influencing. Right. Uh, could you, could you just, I, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think this is so important for the, for our dentists to understand is that we're so trained to educate, but, but talk, talk about this, would you? Yeah. And Dennis, you never have to apologize for interrupting me because every time, every time you and I talk, I learn some things too. So just Thanks. have at it. The, the, the distinction that I spend some time with is the distinction between educating patients and understanding patients. And it's through understanding patients that they're influenced. You know, think about dental school, think about continuing education, dental, um, uh, online continuing education, live continuing education, all our journals, everybody says the same thing. Educate, educate, educate. Sure. How many times have we sat down with patients, done a complete thorough exam, x-rays, CAT scans, dumped up, you know, told them everything they need and they look at us and they go, oh, man, I'm going to have to go home to think about it. <laughs> That's exactly the words that they say. That's yeah. exactly what they say. And I'm thinking, you're not going home to think about it. You're going home to drink about it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and what I learned, Dennis, what I learned was that it, it, the, the, the limiting factor for patients to accept complete care, the fact is they want it. 
It isn't like we're trying to sell something to them they don't want. They want to look better. They want to eat better. They want to be healthier. Yes. The problem is, is it, didn't, it doesn't fit into their life. They got kids in school or they're between jobs or they're starting their own business or, 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 or maybe a daughter's getting married or they're going on a long vacation. There's all sorts of issues that they need to fit the dentistry into. Yes. And, and I, when I finally realized that, it, I didn't realize it was my dental team, my dental assistant, Suzette. She'd come up to me and she would say these amazing things. She says, Dr. Homley, this next patient is really having trouble with her lower denture, but you're going to need to go slow with this patient because her husband is still serving overseas in Afghanistan. And I go, well, that's interesting. Now, I wouldn't change the treatment plan, but what sure. I started to do is I would augment the treatment recommendation. What I would do is I would acknowledge their life event. I would say something like, let's say the patient's name is Michelle. Yes. I said, Michelle, you know, now that we've done a good exam for you, I can understand why you're having problems with this lower denture yes. and that it, it embarrasses you while you teach your class. Let's say she's a school teacher. Sure. And then I would say, and I also know that your husband is serving in Afghanistan and you got a lot on your plate right now. I know I can help you, but what I'm not sure about is how this fits into your life right now. You know, Michelle, is this something that you're ready to go ahead with now or maybe later or maybe a little bit at a time? Help me understand, how does this need to fit into your life? Bang, that, that statement changed my, changed my career, Dennis, because now instead of showing her the difference between a ramus framus, subperiosteal, osseointegrated implants, bone grafts, you know, precision partial denture, bang, all of that, it no longer was a conversation that she couldn't participate in. I started a conversation where she was an expert in the conversation. That is, how does this dentistry fit into your life? Now it's person to person. It's no longer doctor to patient. And wow. I, would hear, I would hear these amazing things. She would say, well, I could tell you um, how it would fit into my life. Uh, if you can give me an idea about how much does it cost, how long will it take, how much my insurance pay. I want them to ask me that question sure. early in the relationship because I believe, Dennis, if I can get the money issues and the fit issues out of the way, and when I say out of the way, I don't mean overcoming them, but just acknowledging them because I always believed in offering complete care, but I wanted to do it in a way that showed the patient I was willing to subordinate my treatment plan to their life. And that's completely the opposite of the patient education formula. I agree. You, uh, this, this makes me think as you're talking about uh, the difference between sympathy and empathy. Yes. And, and when, I, when, I was taught to, when I was taught sort of the difference between sympathy and empathy, I was taught, okay, imagine that you're on a boat and it's really rough waves and you're with your colleague, your friend, your, your partner, and they're sick as a dog. And they're just, they're just tossing over this side of the boat. And they explain sympathy is you walking up and you start throwing up next to them. That's like <laughs> sympathy, right? I'm gonna do the same thing you're doing. Right. Empathy is giving them a wet towel you know, for their forehead, um, soothing their discomfort, right? And I think what, what I'm hearing, Paul, is that what you are establishing right off the bat is empathy, right? Exactly you're, right. Yeah, and and I think that um, and I think that many dentists just um, not that we're necessarily trained for this. It may just be our instinct is we tend to be sympathetic instead of empathetic, and so we'll make statements like, I you know the, we'll, we'll make a statement to that 
I know this about your situation versus saying, how can we help you fit this in? What is the fit for you? Yeah. And I think that's a perfect analogy for what a difference between sympathy and empathy, how we typically would approach patients versus how you're suggesting that we understand where they're coming from by allowing them to tell us what is going to be the fit. I think that's perfect, Paul. I really do. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the issue with the, with the empathy issue is that there is no ADA insurance codes, Dennis. <laughs> No, you're, you're laughing. You're laughing, but I, I'm no good ADA insurance code to begin with. But go ahead, yeah, continue on. Yeah, there's no insurance codes for understanding patients or empathizing patients because see, it's it's the cultural belief that's got the entire industry turned on the fact that our job is to provide inputs. Inputs are what we do. We do crowns and bridges and inlays and partial dentures and and and, and that's how we're recognized and that's how we're rewarded. Yep. There are no insurance codes for outcomes. There are none. If you think about it, there's right. no insurance code for outcomes. So if I spend six or seven minutes talking to Michelle about her husband serving in Afghanistan. And I tell her about my military background. I'm very proud of my military background, Dennis. I served in the United States Air Force and in the United States Navy. So when someone tells me they're a veteran, boy, I can connect with them. We start telling stories. Well, that five to seven minutes, there's, there's nothing in our practice management software or in the ADA codes that acknowledges the importance of that. So culturally, what does that mean to young dentists? They're saying, well, yes. if it's not there, it's probably not important. I probably shouldn't do it. Yep. And so a big part of our work with the young dentist is, and this is why I'm excited about working with you, Dennis, is that we need to give young dentists permission to empathize. And empathy, yes. and empathy is understanding their life circumstance, discovering it first, then accommodating it in your treatment presentation. It's really not that hard to do. A whole different way of thinking. And um, yes. you know that, so that reminds me, for those who are just joining us for this first uh, meeting with Paul, uh, our first Surecast, we talked about the case acceptance for complete dentistry during the COVID-19 era. And uh, you know, Paul, as, I, as I'm listening and I'm thinking back, you know, you've been influenced by just you know, incredible clinicians. You talked about the Pinky Institute and Dawson. And for those who are not familiar with Carl Misch, uh, boy, uh, he was a pioneer in dental implants. And uh, the dental world is, uh, we have lost some without uh, Carl Misch in our world. But you've been influenced by some of the, some of the masters, so some of the mighties. And I think some of the stuff that you're sharing shows how you were influenced by these great thinkers early on in your career and how that sort of shaped you. And my hope is that we're catching these young dentists uh, so that they can uh, likewise be shaped by some of the thoughts that they're getting from you and others that are sharing so openly with us. You, you know what concerns me about that, Dennis, is, is the dilution of quality information because of social media. You know, prior to the internet, a, a person had to get on a plane and go somewhere in order to be mentored. Yes. Now, the young dentist or any dentist can sit under a screen and, and access information, many of which dentists simply is, does, doesn't lead dentists in the right direction. I'm not saying it's wrong, but I, I think most dentists would agree 
that seeing 60 to 80 new patients a month is a burnout. I think most dentists would agree that they'll experience very minimal career fulfillment by treating chief complaints only. I think most dentists would agree that accommodating completely to the insurance company's fee schedules it, it doesn't lead to an abundant career. However, we can agree with those things, but how do we escape the, the pull of gravity? How do we escape the, the herd mentality of, of, of what so much appears on the social media about stuff like um, case accepted training, guaranteed 95% case acceptance. And I'm thinking you're either stupid or you're lying. It's one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so the, the whole, how do we pass the wisdom of complete care along? I think Dennis, I, that's why I jumped at this opportunity to work with you because that's the path that you're on. And I think that when good voices remain silent, evil prevails. Yeah, and I, and I, I respect so much what you're doing, Dennis. Well, thank you. And I, I know, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate because on our social page uh, with DOT, I get lots of questions from young dentists. Well, I think one of the challenges with COVID for us will be that, like you said, without, um, when you're only learning online, and I think DOT is great, and there's other great learning opportunities online. But I think what we will, what will come out of all this at the end is that we will be able to come together again and share and be together in person and, and have a higher degree of influence. But doing these podcasts or sharecasts and doing these um, other meetings, I think, is a great way for us to help influence um, you know, others to, to look bigger and broader. Uh, I, I had a conversation. I have a, a resident at, at my office through the uh, American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry. Of, uh, Satyam Patel is a two-year resident with us. And we had a nice conversation yesterday about exactly what you just spoke about. You know, he has to decide in his career, is he going to be a dentist that wants to have 60, 70, 80 new patients a month and do single tooth dentistry? Or does he want to get into the world of comprehensive dentistry, which is far more challenging. You have to really educate yourself on doing the techniques. And there's so much to learn about in conversations with patients. Sure. We, particularly, we talked about the pause yesterday, Paul. You would have loved this because he was, uh, he, he was practicing this interview with a, with a new patient and he spoke in paragraphs. Okay. And I explained to Satyam, I said, you have to speak in, in, in statements and you have to speak with sentences and pause and allow them to catch up to what you're saying and allow them to ask questions about what you just said and not speak in paragraphs. And I thought about you about the pause. Um, right. And so you, in our last, in our second interview with you, we talked about case acceptance skills for new dentists, for dentists who have only been in practice for five, maybe 10 years or so. Sure. Um, but today we get to talk about the experienced clinician. Yes. And we get to really talk about um, dentists who maybe have gotten themselves into a path of just treating single tooth dentistry or what you, you refer to, which I just love and I never, I never reference this way, um, chief complaint dentistry. And so I'll, I'll let you take the wheel here and tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that. Well, you know, for the mid-career dentist, um, you know, you already know your way around the mouth. You know that, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be a ceiling at which treatment acceptance is going to level off. Most patients are saying yes to treatment at $1,000, $2,000. But once you hit three, four, and five, what happens is that 
the level of fee begins to outreach the insurance levels. And what happens is that treatment acceptance typically will flatten out between three and $5,000. Three and $5,000 cases are not bad to do, Dennis. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all you're doing, okay, if that's all you're doing, I will absolutely guarantee you that there's more, that you're not doing complete care dentistry. You know, maybe 30 years ago, $5,000 went a long way. But now, Dennis, I mean, a patients can spend $10,000 per quadrant sure. if you're going to be doing bone grafts and implants and fixed oh, bridge work. Easy. easy. Yeah. So what occurred to me is that patients whose complete care needs, and complete care, Dennis, doesn't mean complex care. Complete Correct. care is, you know, uh, re restoring function, comfort, aesthetics, phonetics, and airway, right? And, and now we're in COVID-19, we're gonna to add to that definition, function, comfort, phonics, airway, and patient safety. That's the new definition of complete care. Anyway, complete care might be a cleaning and two amalgams or, or, or two composites. Listen to me, two amalgams, I'm old school, sorry. Okay. But, but there, are, there, are, there are providers who still do that and they're good restorations if they're done well. So no, no argument. No argument. However, complete care for other patients might mean full mouth rehabilitation. So the philosophy behind complete care is to recognize all of the conditions and then recommend treatment. Patients don't have to accept it. That's not our response. That's the empathy and sympathy thing. What we, what our responsibility is to recommend complete care. That's the trick. How do you recommend complete care without blowing patients out of the water or losing them from sticker shock? That's when I realized that if you look at the entire patient base conceptually, you can divide them into half. Those patients whose complete care needs are less than, let's say, $3,500. Everything they need for optimal dentistry is less than $3,500, okay? These modest care patients. Then you've got these complex care patients where their total treatment needs are greater than 5,000. So you've got these two groups. You have a group and, and on- Paul, just, just for clarity, when you're saying like around $3,500, this is sort of like an insurance-based issue, right? Because that's right. patient mentality, if my insurance is gonna cover 1,500 to $2,000, $2, and right. then they're gonna sort of meet, they're gonna match what I'm gonna put in. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of like the psychological level. Is that where you're coming from? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. It's, it's that psychological level that patients say, well, I'll get it done if my insurance pays for it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> right. That kind of thing. And, and that's where a lot of young dentists live, by the way. Sure. They, li they live in the, it's, it's like the insurance are like guardrails in their career and they need to stay, they need to stay within the guardrails. Well, yep. Okay. So you've got these patients who have minimal care needs, modest care needs. You've got patients with complex care needs. I want you to imagine a dividing line going right up and down. This is like a graph. And that dividing line is all patients on this side of this dividing line to the left of this dividing line are patients that can be restored to existing plane of occlusion, vertical dimension, condylar position, and anterior guidance, okay? We're talking triple tray, barn door hinge, couple fillings, a crown or two, and they're done. Not really complex. Good dentistry, okay? Yeah. However, on this side of this line over here, 
the operator will need to make changes in vertical dimension, plane of occlusion, condylar position, and anterior guidance. Now the cases are going on articulators. Now you really need to know how to make some temporaries. You're going to be dealing with more complex labs. You're dealing with specialists, dealing with more medical history issues. So these two groups of patients, the reason that this is important is because these patients and these patients have big distinctions. Number one, let's start here. These patients have relatively minor conditions. Number two, they have minor disability. Dennis, what disability is, is how does the condition hinder their lifestyle? How does it get in your sure. way? In, in gingivitis and a asymptomatic periapical abscess doesn't influence a patient's life. Right. There's, oftentimes there's little or no disability. Number three, these patients here have minimal fit issues. I talked about that earlier. Fit issues yeah. are life circumstances that the patients need to fit your dentistry into. And at $25,000, $3,500, maybe some, a, a patient financing plan or insurance will help sure. the dentistry fit in there. Yep. Finally, these people, these people on this side typically are ready for care. Ready, what I mean by ready is that within 30 days, they're gonna get probably most or all of it done. Why are they ready? Because it fits into their life. And, and, and the driver, there's the big drum roll here, Dennis. The, the driver of treatment acceptance for this, these people is patient education. Here's why. Because the conditions are modest, oftentimes there's no symptoms. There's no disability. So through the process of educating the patients, we say, hey, look at here. You've, you've got this dark spot between your teeth. Here's a third molar laying on its side. Or look at how this tooth has moved down. We educate patients into concern. We educate patients into disability. So patient education now becomes the driver of treatment acceptance. Now, let's talk about the mid-career dentist. Yep. The mid-career dentist has built the work habit of educate, educate, educate. The mid-career dentist has got a whole team behind him or her that educate, educate, educate. Yep. But now the dentist goes off, runs off to the Spear Group or Dawson or Panky or my friend John Coyce or you, right? And they take your training, right? And now they want to do more complete care dentistry, 5, 6, 10, 12, 15,000. However, they're using the same skills they used over here. Oh, interesting. You see that? Yep. And what I'm yep. saying, the people over here have a different mindset. Here it is. Number one, they got major conditions, partial, total edentialism, TMJ, phonetic issues, health issues. They yep. have major disability, Dennis. It, it's, it's not like class two decay. It's I can't eat. I look like hell. My medical history is suffering. My breath stinks. I can't make love. I'm a basket case, major disability. Yep. Number three, they get major fit issues. It isn't a $1,500 treatment plan anymore, Dennis. Right. It can be 15,000 and higher. Sure. Here's the big one. The driver of treatment acceptance for these people. Over here, it was, remember, it was education. Yep. Mm -hmm. The driver over here is not education. Why? Because they already know they got problems. They may not know individual pocket depths, but they do know they're not happy. They know yep. a lot of stuff is wrong. So the driver over here isn't educating people, but it's understanding people. That's what we were talking about earlier. Can I ask That's, you a question, Paul? Can I ask sure. you something? Please so, do. So, some of the, the patients that come in with the most complete dentistry needs these days are patients who have erosion. And they will, um, they will commonly come in with 
uh, with, I don't know if they're completely ignorant of it. I don't know. I think a lot of them are. I think a lot of them don't realize that they, you know, they, they may come in and say, you know, my front teeth are chipping or I'm getting some, um, they'll, they'll describe sort of this translucency in the, in the edges of their teeth. Sure. But they're completely unaware, it seems, uh, that they have a tremendous amount of erosion going on secondary to maybe um, sleep apnea or, dis or breathing disorder, uh, sleeping, um, sure. uh, secondary to gastric reflux, blah, blah, blah. So part of the challenge I have found is I need to educate them, right? Because they, they aren't having pain, they're not having symptoms typically. Uh, but I don't want to overwhelm them because I do want to get into, I want to get beyond the sort of educating without overwhelming them. Can you, can you talk about that? Because these are cases that are going to be multiples of $10,000 of dollars to treat and time, right? And so there's, there's very, uh, very dis, uh, distinct fit issues that we're going to have to be talking about. So sure. can you talk about that case of uh, that type of patient? Yeah, you know, and money is only one fit issue. You know, right. as, especially as we get older, Dennis, our lives become more complicated, right? We got yep. aging parents and, you know, crazy kids and relationships and everything that's going on in our lives. So as patient age, the fit issues become more significant. So let's talk about those conditions the patient has, but aren't aware of them. And it's, it's making them aware of them that we'll call patient education. However, I think there's, there's a way of doing this that has worked extremely well for me and extremely well for literally thousands of dentists that I've taught it. Let's imagine, Dennis, you're the patient. Sure. And you've got erosion, you've got tooth wear, you have occlusal disease. But yep. you know what? You're okay. You're, you know mid 60s and you can eat what you want and your wife kind of chased you into the dental office because you're looking old here right yeah, sure maybe yeah. your lower anteriors are all crumpled up you know yeah. how that goes absolutely right okay so um it really starts during the examination okay so i'm examining you and i'm looking around and you know in the interview and last time we talked a bit about the interview Yes. During the interview, you mentioned to me, I say to you, Dennis, you know, Dennis, I'm looking at your record here, and it says you haven't been to the dentist in, you know, several years. Why now, Dennis? What's going on now that makes dentistry important for you? Mm -hmm. You say, well, you know, my wife says this is getting kind of this, or this is kind of this. And I say, yes, I, I, I can see that, Dennis. It's getting, does, does that bother you as much as it bothers her? I don't know. I, I guess so now that she's mentioned, you know, that type of person. Right. Mm -hmm. Now I do the exam. I do the exam and not only do you got stuff going on here, but you got stuff going on everywhere. Okay. And, and it, yours is not a just fix the front teeth and forget the rest of it. Because if you do that, you know what will happen. Exactly. Bang, the front teeth are going to explode at some point. Right. Yeah. So, so during the exam, I will point out things. I'll say to you, you know, Dennis, down here, you got these teeth that are all, see how these teeth are worn down. You go, yeah. I say, you know, Patients of mine that got conditions like this typically find over time the teeth continue to wear and ultimately can break. Does something like that concern you, Dennis? You go, well, I don't want my teeth to break. I said, okay, I understand. You know, over here, Dennis, you've got some missing teeth. Now, up on this side, these teeth have kind of moved down. Uh, typically, when people lose teeth, that's the first step in losing more teeth. Are, are you concerned at all about losing more teeth? You see, I'm not telling you to treat them. What I'm doing is I'm seeking to understand your concern, okay? So now I go around your mouth and I find out two things during the exam, right? These are the big two. 
number one, what are you concerned about? And number two, what are you not concerned about? Oh, that's great. Okay, that's now great. I'm gonna present treatment. And now I'm gonna present treatment. And I'm gonna start presenting, not in the sequence of treatment, but in the sequence of your interest. This is a big deal. This is you, a big deal. You because, talked about this last time, and this is, I think, really, um, uh, it was, this was important for me to hear, and I think a lot of people um, will also um, gain a lot from this. So go ahead. Let's, let's talk about that, the sequence of uh, recommended treatment. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's called the sequence. There's two sequences. You can recommend, here's how we're going to do it. We'll start with this, then do this, then do this, then do this, then do this, right? It's the whole thing we learn in dental school, right? That's almost never the sequence of influence. The sequence of influence is, I'm gonna talk about first what you talked about first. Well, it's this, right? I'll say, well, Dennis, let's, let's talk about your interest. I know you're concerned about this. I know you're concerned about that. Typically, when I see situations like this, we do this and that, and I'm confident we can get you looking good and making your wife happy. I said, you know, now let's talk about these things back here. You, you said to me that you weren't concerned about them. And I get that. I, I, I understand that you're, you're not concerned about it. But I want you to know them, Dennis, that I am. And when you're ready, here's my recommendation. And then I would make a treatment recommendation as if you were ready. So when you think about it, when, by presenting complete care, complete care, two things constitute complete care conditions patients are concerned about and conditions patients aren't concerned about. Where the mid-career dentist makes the big mistake is they recommend treatment for these conditions with the same way they recommend this condition. Yeah. Well, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Now, the back teeth, I'm going to recommend we do this, this, and this. And as soon as I start talking about fixing your back teeth, how, how influenced are you to listen to me? Right. You've already told me you're not interested. Right. Yep. But can I, can I bring up a patient example? Just a person I've been treating recently. Her name's Catherine. Sure. sure. And it's interesting. Catherine used to be a patient in my practice uh, many years ago. But when we moved our practice about seven miles from the old practice, uh, she and her husband uh, just didn't see the value in following me and they found someone more local. And she was having some cosmetic um, concerns. She wanted to do some veneers for her front teeth, so she sought me out. And during my examination, we sat down and, uh, you know, we, we had a nice conversation. It was nice catching up. And we, um, you know, she, she addressed the aesthetic concerns that she had. She wanted to talk about some veneers, and that's great, yeah. And so then we did took a look in her mouth, and one of the things I always do, part of our, my influence from Dawson and Panky, is I check to see the, check the joints. I wanted to see where the first contact is. Right. And, and I noticed she had a, a first contact posterior, the upper left, and she had this enormous slide. And so we started talking about it, and all of a sudden, she, I'm like, you know, it's interesting, this back tooth, uh, these teeth touch before the other teeth. And she goes, you know, it's funny, this tooth has been bothering me like crazy. Now, it's not what she came in for, right? So we went through our examination and we talked about um, there's some lower teeth crowding, blah, 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 blah. So we started out the conversation. I said, Catherine, I know you want veneers and I'm, I'm, I'm eager to do the veneers for you. And we will talk about that. But here is my concern if I just jump into the veneers. When you're only hitting on this one back tooth and you're sliding into these front teeth, I'm nervous that when we do these veneers, they will break or they will chip just like your front teeth. So then I asked her for her permission. Do you, would you be okay if we talked about 
doing the veneers, but setting up your bite so that we can make sure that the veneers will be long lasting. Would that be okay? Knowing that our end game is to get you veneers, but can we do look at how do we get your bite more stable before we do that? Because I would feel more comfortable giving you something that I'm gonna know is gonna be more predictable long-term. And so that's sort of following your, your guidelines and following your path and sort of acknowledging what they're there for. And then I sort of ask permission, can we sort of redirect and sort of come back to that knowing that's gonna be our end game? You know, I like that a lot, Dennis. You know, and, and the difference between what I just said and what you just said is really just nomenclature. Mm -hmm. but, but the big picture is understanding what they're concerned about and what they're not concerned about. And right. what I learned to do with those unconcerned conditions over here, I learned to, in, instead, of, in, instead of telling the patients what would probably happen to them, what I do is I tell them what's happened to other patients. See, that's more evidence-based. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and so my conversation would sound like, you know, you know, Dennis, you mentioned you're not concerned about this tooth over here. My experience with so many patients over the years is that conditions like this are allowed to remain untreated. What will happen is they'll put too much force on the front teeth and destroy the appearance of their front teeth. Is this something that you're concerned about? Now notice, I didn't say that she should treat it. I asked her if she was concerned about it, okay? Yep. Notice too, I didn't say, we're gonna ruin, you're gonna ruin your front teeth. I said, patients of mine ruin their front teeth. And for me, that, that separates the patient from perceiving patient education as a threat because too many dentists will use a false sense of urgency. Yes. They learned this from sales techniques yes. they've been to. If we don't go ahead with this, I know you think $1,000 for a crown is expensive, but if we don't treat this now, it's only gonna be more expensive in the future. All that shit related to the sale of dentistry just aggravates me. So my that's, sense that's is- Great distinction. That's so important, Paul. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, so the big distinction for mid-career dentists is that the, the, the patient education process that you're using successfully over here will not hold up over here. That, that and, and, and I know there's, there's patients in the middle here. Sure, of course. But, but over here, it's about understanding how it needs to fit into their life. You know, Dennis, I know you're concerned about your front teeth. I'm confident we can fix it for you. What I'm not sure about is, is, is how does this all fit into your life? You mentioned to me that you're starting a new business. You mentioned to me that your wife is uh, starting her job, whatever the situation. How can we best fit this in for you? And now the conversation gets to be about fit and not multiple treatment plans and veneers and all that other stuff. Oh, we're going to get to that. But that's a separate conversation. That's called the consent conversation as opposed to an influencing conversation. So my, my case presentation, Dennis, this is an important distinction. My case presentation, I call it case conversation. My case conversation does not meet the standard of informed consent because what it do you is- mean? An, How do you say that? Well, because informed consent, you have to tell the patients the benefits, risk, and alternatives to care, don't you? Yes, you do. Okay. I don't want to do that in my influencing conversation. Here's what I want to do in my influencing conversation. This is what I call case conversation. I've done the exam, I sit down with you. Number one, I want to make it really clear, I understand why 
you want to get your teeth fixed. I'm going to start with the reason you came in. Sure. Dennis, now that I've done your exam, I can see why you and your wife have some concern about your front teeth. Yep. Second step, I will acknowledge any fit issues that came out in the interview. Dennis, you've also told me that you're bringing in an associate in your practice, and you told me that you and your wife are traveling to Spain. I know you got a lot on your plate right now. At that point, I would introduce you to my patient advocate. You remember that from last time. About that. Yep. Mm -hmm. My patient advocate. This is Joy, my patient advocate. And when we're done talking, Dennis, she's really good about helping patients fit treatment into their life. So the first thing I talk to you about is the behavioral benefit that you're interested. Second thing, I acknowledge your fit issues. Third thing I'm going to do is I'm going to recommend treatment for your concern conditions only. Dennis, I'm going to recommend we do this. I'm going to recommend we do that. Fourth thing I'm going to do is I'm going to recommend conditions that you're not concerned about. Dennis, you told me that you're not concerned about this, but I want you to know that I am. And when you're ready, my recommendation would be, and then I would recommend treatment as if it was concerned. And then the last step would be, Dennis, what questions and comments do you have for me? Now, nowhere in there do I talk about alternatives. Nowhere in there do I talk about risks or options. See, this is an influencing conversation to get the patient back to the elements of fit. Of, of it's, it's less important for me now to know, for the patient to know how I'm going to fix their teeth. It's yep. more important for me to know when they want to fix their teeth. So it seems to me that that's the, uh, the issue that a lot of dentists will skirt around is the most important issue. Is oh, yeah. the fit issue, right? We, we hide from that. It's like, I don't want to talk about, because this is going to get into things. I, I just want to do the dentistry. So I'm going to ignore that there could be fit issues. It's like, uh, it's like avoiding uh, having difficult conversations, right? It's, uh, Dennis, yeah. that, was, that was the biggest change in my practice and in my life is when I said, you know what? I'm just going to get really good about talking about money and fees. I'm not going to turf it off to my front office staff or my admin staff, because frankly, they don't have the position of authority that I do. Mm -hmm. And so when I get done with your case conversation, Dennis, I say, Dennis, any questions or comments? You know what the patient is gonna ask. What's this gonna cost me? And I'll say, Dennis, so cases like yours can run anywhere between 16 and $18,000. Most patients can pay for it over time. Um, I've done your case probably several hundred times in this practice. You won't lose any time from work. You're going to have to spend maybe three or four longer appointments in the chair. You'll be comfortable. You'll be safe and comfortable in this office. Dennis, does that fit for you? With, see, I don't miss a beat yep. with the patient. And the patient now is going to be, oh, wow, I don't know. And now we're talking about fit issues instead of, well, there's three different ways to fix your teeth. We yeah. could do it with implants. We could do, okay, so now let's just say, Dennis, let's just say you say yes to everything. Okay, now I, I sit you with my patient advocate. She figures out the schedule. She looks at your insurance, financial arrangements. Sure. And then she says, um, you and Dr. Homley need to have a conversation now before you leave. So now you come back to me. I said, Dennis, terrific. We're going to start your care next time. This is great. I'm glad to help you. And we'll do a great job for you. But before we do, Dennis, I'm really required by law and by dental ethics that you understand the benefits, risks, and alternatives to treatment. Let me get into a detailed conversation with you about the sequence of your treatment. And now, Dennis, 
I open my drawer and I take out my brochures and my visual aids and all that crap that dentists use sure. to try to sell the dentistry. Yep. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to say, dentists, on your front teeth, we're going to do laminate veneers. Let me show you. Then I'll give you a little brochure from the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry. On the back teeth, we're going to do um, uh, computer uh, chair side milling onlays, and I'll show you about CEREC or something. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we're going to do this and that. And now what I do is I present informed consent on the treatment that you've already accepted. Oh, that's brilliant. Because then you don't waste their time and your energies and confuse <sighs> them by giving all sorts of informed consent on everything that dentistry has to offer. Oh, and then man. asking them to try and make an educated decision when they don't have any dental background. They don't have the... They don't know, know. They don't know. Of course, they, they don't, don't know. I mean, honestly, this is, this reminds me of talking to my accountant because taxes are due July 15th and he's speaking accounting to me. It's like, Paul, I, his name's also Paul. Yeah. Like, I'm like, Paul, I don't know. I, I tell Stop me it. what I'm supposed to do. Don't ask me to make these decisions. Just tell me what I'm, you know, I'm, I've hired you. I've trusted you. You know, you've known That's me. Right. You know, uh, right. you know, guide me through this. Don't ask me questions that I don't, I don't understand yeah. the language. Yeah. Here's, here's a story for you, Dennis. So I, I have, I have had atrial fibrillation for 40 years. Okay. And I've had four cardiac ablations to get me back into rhythm. I'm here in Scottsdale now, and I go to the Mayo Clinic. It's like the world number one hospital. Sure. And I'm, be, I'm being treated by Dr. L. Mastery. This guy is the head of electrophysiology at Mayo Clinic. This guy's got brains in places, Dennis. I don't even have places. <laughs> right? And so I had an issue with, with heart rhythm and rate got kind of funny. I'm a healthy guy, Dennis, but this heart thing, you know, sure. it just kind of slows me down. So we did a couple things. And finally, he looks at me and says, you know, Paul, instead of fooling around with all this medication, why don't we just put a pacemaker in you and be done with it? I said, I'm ready. He said, when do you want to do it? I said, would tomorrow be too soon? He looks at me, he says, I'll be right back. He leaves, he comes back in about 10 minutes. He says, we can't do it tomorrow, but we can do it. It was like Tuesday when we had this conversation. He said, we can do it Friday. And I said, well, can I stay here till Friday? He says, sure. So I stayed in the hospital at the Mayo Clinic Tuesday, Friday morning, rather Thursday. He comes back and he said, tomorrow we're going to do you. And meanwhile, I'm online. I got my computer. I'm looking at pacemakers, right? And the, the pacemaker brand is called Medtronics, Medtronics. Okay. Sure. So I open up the Medtronics website. They got like eight different pacemakers, and I'm looking at all the different models, right? Now, Dr. Almastri never gave me a choice. <laughs> I'm pacemaker. Paul, which one would you like? What color, what color and size do you want? Yeah, what color and size do you want, you know? And so I'm looking at it. So he comes back and we're talking about it. I said, I said Doc, I said, I'm really curious. And, and now I know this guy pretty well. He knows I was an implant dentist. I'm very interested in all this stuff. I said, I really am interested in implants. And I showed him the webpage. I said, which one were you going to put in? And I was hoping he would point to the Azure, A-Z-U-R-E. It's like the top of the line pacemaker. This thing's got a defibrillator in it. it I got Bluetooth to my cell phone on it. Right, sure. It, it communicates with the hospital if I should have an issue, right? Sure. I'm thinking, that's the one I want. He points to that one. I said, put it in. Here's the point. He made the decision it was in my best interest. Yes. That's what our role is, Dennis. Yes. But we get all sideways by trying to, we get into all this technical stuff that people stop listening. Yep. Yeah. Right. El Mastery says, we're going to get your, your rate and rhythm steady with a pacemaker. Bam. 
That's an outcome. He didn't tell me about a three-quarter inch incision. We're going to do a subcutaneous thing, and then we're going to put it in. We're going to run leads across your clavicle. No. Right. That have you running out the door. It's just like what we're yeah, Absolutely. Although I was really interested how he's going to get to Electro past the tricuspid valve while my heart was beating. We did have an interesting conversation about but that. that. But that was based on your needs, not yes. on he wouldn't do that for with every patient, for sure. No, no way. Paul, before we finish up, I want you to sort of help guide. So when we're talking about the, the mid-career dentist, the experienced clinician, who let's say they're running two or three hygienists, they're in a, a chief complaint operation of business, but they recognize that there are these patients that need more comprehensive care. Sure. How do they, how do they change or how do they accommodate? Because I don't want to say change because right. if they have a practice that's successful, or I, I, don't, I don't think it's fair to start thinking about changing practices. But right. how do you accommodate? Because I've had this question with, with multiple dentists. I want to do more complete dentistry, more comprehensive dentistry, but I have this busy practice. Right. So first of all, let's say two questions. I'm going to pose two questions for you. Okay. First question is, I have a patient who's in the hygiene chair. I've been seeing them for 10 years. I've been watching I've been watching this, these teeth fall apart and I haven't had the courage to have a conversation with the patient. All right, so that's number one. I wanna talk about that. Okay. Number two, how do I now, how do I find the room in my schedule or how do I create a, a schedule that would allow me to start doing more complete care, more comprehensive care to these patients? So two parts of the same question, I guess. Okay, let's start with the second part first. Okay. Uh, here's the deal. If you're a mid-career dentist and you get a busy um, left side practice, remember yes, that? Perfect. You get, a, yeah. you get a busy left side practice, but you realize that, hey, it's your time in your career. You've got the skills. You've got the incentive. You've got the um, uh, self-actualized effort to be more than you are. You, you want to yeah. continue to develop, but yes. you're, you're jammed in. I tell you the way that I did it and the way that I recommend dentists do it is to bring in a younger dentist to begin to manage this side of the practice because you can't be two places at one time. You, you cannot run a run and gun left side practice at the same time trying to do complete care dentistry. This is too demanding cognitive. There's a much stronger cognitive load here. This is a physical load. This is a cognitive load. Okay, so what, what I did and what I recommend dentists do is, is bring in a junior dentist, someone that's 10 or 15 years younger than you. If you're a male, maybe bring in a woman. If you're a woman, maybe bring in a man so you get this Mars and Venus thing going, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then this dentist begins to take on this left side load to where that lightens your load to do this. Now, what's interesting about this is that, okay, now this guy's going and, and he's successful or she's successful. You're yeah. picking up these cases. But now this guy's looking at what you're doing. You yeah. say, well, you know what? You can do it too. And so what I'll do is some of my complete care patients, I'll refer back this way for him to do the composites, the root canals, and kind of the general dental stuff yep. to give him a feel for what complete dentistry looks and feels like. Mm -hmm. That's what I did with five associates of mine, all five ultimately became right side dentists. They started practices of their own and now they brought in junior dentists and did the same thing. So it gets to a point of leadership, Dennis, 
we, we have to get out of our clinical head. If we're a mid-career dentist and we're real busy, then we need to think about solving the problem through leadership that is developing in other dentists. And that's why I respect so much what you're doing with digital online training is that that facilitates that process. Does that make sense, Dennis? I think that's fantastic advice. Uh, I think that a lot of um, mid-career dentists uh, have scarcity issues and they're afraid that they're not going to have enough dentistry to do if they bring in a young dentist. So there is almost a, a, almost a point of you have to sort of dive into this. If you decide that you want to be doing complex or comprehensive care, or complete care dentistry, um, you, you have to sort of embrace it. Not that you cannot be doing single tooth dentistry or, or you know, sort of um, the sort of, you know, not as uh, complete dentistry, more right. limited dentistry. It doesn't mean you can't do that also, but you can right. nurture this young dentist into that role and you are absolutely correct. They will start to see the dentistry that you're doing on this right side. And they'll want to be a part of that because there's right. emotional fulfillment with doing that and treating patients. You know, and it's not right or wrong, but in a different way. Um, and I think that's excellent advice. I think that's yeah. great advice for a mid-career dentist. Alternatively, yeah, the, the, the mid-career dentist, one more thing on that. The mid-career yeah. dentist, you know, if, if he's been in practice, let's say 12 years, and he, he's doing this left side dentistry, he's got a stable team he's he's kind of in a groove yeah, as far as his sure. leadership style is concerned. Yeah. Maybe he has an office manager that deals with all the, the, the major day-to-day -day headaches yeah. and he yeah. pays the bills, okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, in order for this dentist to start doing more of this right-side care, it's like everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody's ready to die. Yeah. The, the greater the complexity, the greater the complexity of care that a dentist seeks to provide, the greater the need for leadership skills. Oh, that's great. It, it, great it's, it, it, it's, not, great. it's not just a clinical decision, it's a leadership decision. So in order to bring this guy in, you're gonna increase the complexity of the relationships in the office. Yeah. And many mid-career dentists are so used to being the boss that they don't wanna have to, you know, they don't wanna have to lead and develop. But I'm telling you, the first step, the first step is to put on a different garment, mid-career dentist, put on the garment of your clinician, but now you can put on the garment of leader. And, and in my opinion, that it's, it's the dentist go from, from, from new dentist, for, rather from dental student to new dentist, to mid-career dentist, to leader dentist. Oh, interesting. Okay, that, yeah. that leadership component kicks in when you start having the dream or the vision of doing more complete care. Yeah. It, it has to happen. If it doesn't happen, the mid-career dentist trying to do all this right side dentistry and he's got all these patients and then there's a collision and everybody's heads explode and nothing gets done and people drop dead because of it. <laughs> yeah, and, and with poor leadership, if you bring in an associate and you have poor leadership, then there's confusion in the practice and the team doesn't really understand what is this new person's role? What's this new doctor's role? Uh, you, you know, so I think you, I, it's such a great point. You, you have to have this strong leadership. You have to define why you're, why you're going to follow this path. So the team understands what the vision is, and then you're going right. to bring in this, right, this, bring in this associate. And so everybody has to be on board, and that's all about leadership. Great point. Excellent that's point it. about that. And, and Dennis, what you'll find in my work for the next year, 
that my focus is on developing leaders in dentistry. Yeah, that's where it is. You know, my case acceptance material, that's mature material. It's done extremely well. Um, I love teaching it, but I know now just from this conversation, if a dentist wants to go from here to here, how do they do it? Well, you know, stop looking at, you know, stop taking clinical courses. My God, you've taken enough. (laughs) Yeah. You've taken enough. The thing is, is how do, how do you make it easy for this person to succeed? How do you create systems and processes and culture in your practice where this dentist is successful? And mid-career dentists will hear all the horror stories. Well, I hired an associate and he stole my patient, so he's a pain in the ass, or he does right. crap dentistry. There's all these reasons, and all of them, all the senior dentist has to do when there is a failed junior dentist is look in the mirror. That's where the problem is. It isn't with the junior dentist, it's with this guy. Yeah, myself included, Paul. I put myself in there because I've made mistakes, and it's it's on me. It's not on them. It is on me and my poor my poor leadership skills when we had that associate in the practice. Yeah, without well, question. Without outstanding. Question. Outstanding. Right, before we finish, I want you to talk to me about the dentist who's been seeing this patient. They have these they have these conditions that right. are going on that have been observed, but uh, you know sometimes they're monitored. We're monitoring this. Sometimes, right, right. Sometimes the dentist hasn't said a word about it. The hygienist right. hasn't said a word, but right. now this dentist has been influenced, and they want to actually start doing complete care. Right. How do you, you sit up the patient? How do you look them in the eye? And what is the conversation you have? Well, you know, it really goes back to that exam that I talked about discovering concerned and versus unconcerned conditions. It really goes back to that. Okay, so now you're the hygiene patient, right? Yep. You've been in my practice 10 years, and yep. we've watched this stuff just fall apart for 10 yep. years. I get it. I get it. And maybe you've missed some recalls. Maybe you haven't, whatever it is. So now I come in there. Uh, this, is before, this is before the hygienist starts, Okay. This is before the hygienist starts. Come in here. Dennis, you know, before you see Rita, my hygienist, I want you to know that you know, I wanted to spend a few minutes with you here. You know, relative to everything that's going on with the coronavirus, it, it really has taken what we do up to a new level. You know, I, I want you to know that after your cleaning today, I'm going to do an examination for you. And during that examination, we're going to look for those conditions that could contribute to enter any underlying systemic conditions you might have. As you know, coronavirus is very opportunistic for people with pre-existing condition. Dennis, I'm going to talk to you about things. There'll be some conditions you'd be concerned about. There'll be some conditions you're not concerned about. And what you do about them is your choice. But I want you to know, Dennis, that I don't have that choice. It's my new requirement to let you know everything that we see in your mouth that, that I would feel would be important for you to know about. Would that be okay? Uh, that's absolutely brilliant, Paul. That's absolutely yeah. brilliant. Yeah. And, and the coronavirus- This is the time to do it, right? This is the time to have these difficult conversations with patients. Right. Not that you use corona as a, an excuse, but it gives you the opportunity to have a difficult conversation that maybe you have avoided in the past. And now it's time to, you know, yeah. use absolutely. that as a gateway. And we won't use it as an excuse. We're using it as a gateway for the conversation. That's right. It's, it, it, the fact is, Dennis, it's the truth. It is the truth. There's no doubt about it. It's the truth. Yeah, it, it gives you the chance to speak the truth. It, it, it's the truth. And, and so 
you know, prior to COVID-19, that conversation would have been, you know, since I've seen you last, I have gone through continuing education. I have taken these courses. We brought in this new technology. You probably noticed this new x-ray machine. And we're going to talk to you about conditions that we didn't talk to you about before because our practice is constantly evolving. We want to provide you with the best care as we're going along. But coronaviruses, coronaviruses gives that dentist the nudge it's, it's a big nudge and it's not contrived. It's not sales. It's the truth. Yes, I agree. Paul, I, again, I cannot thank you enough uh, from truly from the bottom of my heart, the information that you're sharing, it's, it's priceless. And you are just, just giving us this information and sharing this with our, with our users. And, and I am truly grateful and humbled to, uh, to be speaking with you today. And as we have on the other Sharecasts. I, I would ask that if you, um, if you have any closing thoughts, anything that you'd, uh, um, oh, I want to say one more thing. Uh, Paul has, has graciously offered, and you've heard this on the other, on the other sharecast, to spend 15 minutes with any, any of our dental online trainers that would like to sort of work out an issue that they're having in their practice. It could be leadership, it could be talking to patients. Uh, so through our website, we will have a link that you can go on, and it's uh, Paul's schedules through Calendly. Uh, and it would be like a 15 minute conversation. That's uh, right. I would recommend that you have your question at the ready because 15 minutes is going to go fast. So uh, Paul's volunteering his time. So I would have your question and be just ready to say, Paul, this is the issue I'm having. What would you recommend? And Paul can give his advice. He can recommend books. He can recommend uh, some other um, resources. I would also recommend for any of the listeners and viewers and readers to check out Paul's website. Paul, your website is fantastic, and you have this great, uh, it's free information on the website. I've watched many of your videos. Uh, I love uh, Phantom of the Operatory. Phantom of the Operatory is the big yeah. favorite. <laughs> yeah, the pause. Uh, there, there's some great, great uh, resources there on Paul's website. So that's homily uh, is homily.com? Yeah, paulhomily.com. www.paulhomily.com. That World Wide Web. That's right. So that that's uh so those are available, and I would recommend all of our viewers, listeners, readers to to check that out. So Paul, I'll let you have the closing word, and uh, again, thank you so much for sharing your information with us today. Well, you know, it's, it's funny, Dennis. You and I talked about this before we turned on the the recording here about. Uh, you know, why don't we give your listeners, uh, you know, 15 minutes with homily? Let's see how that works out. Well, th that's an outrageous offer, number one. And you know, the good news is that we get so many that I'm just going to discontinue it because I'd shoot myself if I had to talk to 30 dentists a day for 15 minutes. Sure. Okay. But you know, what it is is that I believe so strongly in what you're doing with dental online training that I want to kickstart this as, as fast as possible for you and for me too. And so I would say, uh, are, are we going to offer this 15 minute consult forever? Probably not because not. we're going to get so many calls and, We'll, we'll solve that problem when we come to it, but I, I want you to know that I'm a big at, I'm a big fan of yours, Dennis. I'm a big fan of dental online training, and whatever I can do to make it easy for you and for your team and for your dentist to do more complete care, to you know have a practice they're fulfilled at, make a bunch of money, enjoy your life. That's <laughs> let's do it together. <laughs> Wonderful worlds. Paul, thank you again. We wish you safety and health. Uh, Paul's in Arizona, and at this, this time, Arizona's uh, had quite the increase in COVID cases. So stay safe, stay healthy, 
And again, thank you so much for sharing this, uh, this critical information that is beyond the nuts and bolts of how to do the dentistry, but how to influence your patients so that they will get the dentistry that they deserve and that our dentists deserve to do. So thank you so much. You're welcome, Dennis. Okay, speak to you soon.